I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hi, I'm Holly Fry. This week I am sitting in for Tracy V. Wilson. Today is December 24th, and it is the day that Silent Night was performed for the first time in 1818. Stille Nacht, known in English-speaking places as Silent Night, has of course become a standard at Christmas celebrations. This song was originally written not as a song, but as a poem by an assistant priest named Joseph Moore in 1816. Moore, who was born in Salzburg, was ordained in 1815, and he moved to Mariepfar in Lungau in the Austrian Alps the following year. The words of Stille Nacht were written by Moore at a time when the occupation of the area by Bavarian troops was ending, which may have contributed to the song's themes of salvation and peace. In 1818, Moore moved to Obendorf by Salzburg, 130 kilometers northwest of where he had been staying on the Austrian border and he served at the Church of St. Nicholas there. And the Church of St. Nicholas had an organist named Franz Gruber, who worked primarily as a teacher, but he had other side jobs in addition to playing music at St. Nicholas, including as a church caretaker and also as an organist for another church. Moore still had this poem that he had written while he was living in the Austrian Alps, and he had an idea that it could be set to music. And he also wanted something that the choir could sing with a couple of solo parts 
preferably accompanied by guitar. And so, to accomplish this task, Moore asked Gruber to write music for the poem. He had made this request on Christmas Eve of 1818, and Gruber was very, very fast. He had this whole thing turned around the very same day. And so later, again, that same day, when Gruber showed Moore the simple composition, as he called it, of music that he had come up with to go with the words of Stille Nacht, Moore was really pleased with it. He thought it was lovely, so much so that he decided that it should just be part of the Mass that evening. And beyond the fact that the performance at the Church of St. Nicholas in 1818 was well-received, we really don't know much about it. But that was the first time it was performed at a Christmas Eve Mass. And it continued to be performed after that debut, first in the surrounding area in Austria, and then slowly spreading through a progressively wider geographical footprint. In just a little more than a decade after the poem was first set to song, Stille Nacht was being performed outside of Austria. From there, it traveled with performers not only across Europe, but beyond Europe. It was sung by a family singing group called the Rainer Family Singers in North America on Christmas Day in 1839. But as the song gained popularity, its origin was obscured after a number of years. Eventually, at the end of 1854, Franz Gruber, who had heard that attribution had been lost as this song took flight and spread around the world, actually wrote down the story of its inception in a document which he titled Authentic Account of the Origin of the Christmas Carol, Silent Night, Holy Night. At this point, Stille Nacht has been translated into more than 300 languages and dialects. It is on UNESCO's intangible cultural heritage list. More than 100 years after Stille Nacht was first performed, Bing Crosby recorded the English-language version Silent Night in 1935. That is reportedly the number three all-time best-selling single. And it all started on Christmas Eve, 1818, with a song written and performed by an assistant priest and a church organist in Bavaria. If you want to learn a slightly longer version of this story, you can get that on Stuff You Missed in History Class, which has a new episode out called Christmas Triple Feature, Stille Nacht, St. Nick, and Scrooge. Today's episode was researched by Tracy Wilson, who deserves thanks. It was uh, handled on the audio end by Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays. Tomorrow, you should uh, hang back out with us because we're going to talk a little bit about some astronomical fun. And if you'd like to subscribe to This Day in History class, you can do that on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico, now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, 
the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Greetings, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that believes no day in history is a slow day. The day was December 24th, 1826. A drunken Christmas party at the United States Military Academy, also known as West Point, turned into a conflict known as the Eggnog Riot. West Point opened in 1802. Up until the War of 1812, the school was pretty lax. Students were admitted throughout the year, and admission standards weren't the highest. Drinking was a big part of the culture. Eggnog was often the drink of choice at holiday celebrations in the U.S., especially from the 18th century on. And that was the case at West Point. But after the War of 1812, Congress was inspired to funnel more money into the academy. In 1817, Colonel Sylvanus Thayer became the superintendent of West Point. Thayer earned the moniker Father of West Point. He was strict about discipline and academics at the school. He banned playing cards, tobacco, and novels, and students could not leave campus, cook in their dorms, or duel. Thayer did not allow cadets to drink, purchase, or store alcohol, except on the 4th of July and on Christmas. That is, until 1825. That July 4th, cadets carried the school's commandant to their barracks. After that, Thayer banned the possession of alcohol. 
But instead of following Thayer's new rule, some of the cadets snuck in gallons of whiskey, brandy, rum, and wine from nearby taverns for the holiday party. Benny Haven's Tavern, where cadets could barter for alcohol, was too expensive for the amount of liquor they needed. So several nights before Christmas, three cadets crossed the Hudson River to visit Martin's Tavern. After drinking at the tavern, they took liquor back to the academy with them, paying off a guard on the way back. One of the cadets who took part in the revelry was Jefferson Davis, future president of the Confederacy. Thayer knew that the cadets might try to smuggle in alcohol since they had done so before. So he sent two officers, Captain Ethan Allen Hitchcock and Lieutenant William A. Thornton, to keep watch on the North Barracks. The officers went to bed around midnight. At that point, things were pretty quiet. But several hours later, Hitchcock woke up to the sound of a party floors above him. When he went upstairs, he found several drunk cadets and told them to go to their rooms. He left to go back to his own room, but he realized there was another party happening in a nearby bedroom. When he attempted to break that one up too, he got into a spat with a cadet who was trying to hide his identity. Hitchcock left, but the cadets were still upset at the exchange. So they turned to violence and called for the cadets to arm themselves and murder Hitchcock. And the riot began. About a third of the cadets, or 90 of them, were involved in the riot. Another party popped up on a lower floor, and as Hitchcock went to break it up, he ran into Jefferson Davis. Davis ended up going back to his room. But Lieutenant Thornton was also up and trying to put an end to the commotion. A cadet threatened him with a sword, and another hit him with a piece of wood. A cadet tried to shoot Hitchcock with his pistol, but missed when another cadet threw off the aim. When Hitchcock called for the commandant of cadets, the cadets mistakenly thought he was summoning the artillerymen, so they got even more rowdy. They broke windows, dishes, and furniture, and generally tore up the barracks. Eventually, the commandant showed up and the conflict came to an end. After the riot, 22 cadets were placed on immediate restriction. 19 cadets and one soldier were court-martialed. In the end, many of the cadets were allowed to stay at West Point, though some left anyway, and some were dismissed. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. If you'd like to learn more about the riot, you can listen to the episode of Stuff You Missed in History class called Eggnog Riot. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you prefer something a little bit more formal, then you can write us at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll be back tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. A new season of Bridgerton is here. 
And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.